Hello, hello, and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Kainas, switching to my radio voice. And uh, today I have with me Terry Wang, co-founder and CEO at Keys. The Irish spelling, C-I-O-S, pronounced Keys. Uh, we'll definitely want to hear why that, that is. Uh, so, uh, Terry, for, for, uh, thank you for joining me today. How's it going? It is going fantastic, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to be on this. Big fan of the show and really glad to share a story. Awesome. Th thank you so much. Uh, so it looks like you are in Toronto, Canada. Uh, where, where, where are you right now? Oh, that's a long story. Well, we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, so I'm actually bouncing around all over the place. So I grew up in Toronto. I probably should be back there. Uh, although I am in Winnipeg right now. Long story about why I'm in Winnipeg. And we spend a good amount of time either in Fargo down in the States uh, or in Chicago down in the States. And that movement is a big part of why we ended up doing what we're doing. Okay. Okay. So, so Winnipeg or Toronto both fit exactly what I wanted to say, which mm -hmm. is that on November 20th, it's probably a, a, a uh, winter wonderland by now. It is actually raining outside. It is. Uh, it is not that bad. It is a pretty, pretty good year. What is? Uh, what's ten degrees Celsius? Whatever it is, I'm already like over Canadianizing myself. So I'm going to stop talking about the weather uh, uh, on that side. It ten, is plenty warm. Ten is is about forty five degrees. So so yeah, very okay. very very decent. I, I luckily I I, I speak both uh, degrees fluently. Uh, because I grew, oh. up, I, I grew up in Costa Rica, uh, so, so okay. I, ha I had to get used to, to Fahrenheit uh, when I went to college and stayed in the States. But, but yeah, I, I speak, I speak, yeah, 10 is very, for Canada, 10 is very decent in the winter. 10 is very decent. <laughs> yes. It was like, there was like, we had full on blizzards a little while back. Like, uh, um, I think it was like mid-October and then there was a foot of snow on the ground. And now it's late November and we're totally fine. So that, uh, it is that what it is. is very weird. All right. So we always give the guests the chance to give the elevator uh, pitch. What, what is Keys? So that is a great question. So what we're essentially building is a new category of insurance uh, meant to give residential multifamily renters more flexibility in their leases to move when they need to move while protecting cash flow for property owners and managers. I can get into why we're doing this, how we're doing this, but I really want to leave the questions out to you. Okay, so so I, I'm I'm a, I'm a long time renter, uh, and mm -hmm. we have moved around quite a bit. In fact, we kind of rarely finish a lease, uh, and and, and <laughs> so so we're kind of the perfect case study for for what you guys are doing. Uh, so I've had leases as easy as you can break the lease by 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 paying a couple of months to break it, mm -hmm. uh, and I've I've had leases that that are basically like you pay till the end. Uh, you're liable for the whole thing uh, mm -hmm. when you when you break it. So 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 I've had kind of a little bit of everything. So I, I would have loved a product a product like this. Uh, so so you did kind of hint at how it came to be, where you guys kept moving around. Uh, how 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 does it work? So so if if I'm signing at least tomorrow, how. how how does it work? Yeah. So that, that's a great question. That's a great question. And like, uh, just to quickly touch up on that, like, just like you moved around a ton. I think the exact number, um, don't quote me on this. I might be wrong about my own self, but I think it's nine, eight or nine times in the last seven years. So 
decent amount. You can you can guess that I did not finish every single lease. Uh, there were a fair amount of subleases and relets and buyouts in there. Uh, so that's essentially how we came, how how we realized the pain point was there. Like just people are people are looking for something different now that now that we're all renting. Uh, but in terms of how it works, uh, the number one thing to realize is we sell almost exclusively to property owners nowadays with insurance more so than ever. I think it's really really tough to buy insurance to seek out to buy insurance, unless it's like a widely known mandated policy that we all know about, right? Auto works like that. And even then, I think if you sold auto at the point of purchase of a vehicle, you'd have like a 10x higher convert rate, right? Um, so for us, we really want to partner with property owners, de-risk them, offer more value to their tenants, and really come up with a way to bridge the gap between these like really, really expensive short-term leases uh, and longer leases for the folks that do want to stay as far as they know, but just have a lot of uncertainty in like a six to 12 month window. Uh, so we partner with property owners to embed this as uh, embed coverage at the point of leasing. So you're able to purchase a, a policy at, a, at an enrolled property uh, anywhere, from, um, anywhere from the point of lease signing all the way through to 30 days post, uh, post move-in. For most people, that's anywhere from like a 45 to like a 90 day period where that purchase option is there. We'll remind you a couple of times. We'll let you know when, when the last date for you to purchase is. You purchase a policy, you pay for it either monthly or all upfront, depends on what works best for you cash flow wise, and you're covered, right? As long as you're making payments on that side, as long as you fit our underwriting criteria, um, you're essentially covered for a wide variety of perils, right? And that's a, that's a real secret to how we're able to bring this policy out. We, instead of looking at this as kind of, uh, as an all perils, uh, coverage, that's really, really prone to moral hazard and adverse selection. We're really focusing on specific named perils. Uh, we're looking at the like seven to eight out of like the 10 biggest reasons why people are typically breaking their leases early, whether it's for work, whether it's for their partner's work, whether it's for family, whether it's back to school, whether it's some small factor relating to those kind of three core groups. Uh, we find that that covers about 70 to 80% of mainstream use cases. And what we do is that when you do need to move, something comes up in your life, we make it really easy for you to make a claim. We process all it all online through, through our software. Um, once we validated it, it takes anywhere from a couple minutes to 24 hours if there's a little bit of complication. Uh, what we do is that we take over that lease. Uh, we help you set a move out date. Uh, we integrate directly in with your property manager software. So we get everything sorted out. You know when you can move out. We handle the remaining rent obligations and you are on your way. Depending on your coverage, there might be a bit, there might be a small deductible. But again, 250 bucks is a small price to pay compared to... Uh, three months of right okay so, so so sold through the property manager at the point of purchase okay so the property manager is basically now when i'm signing the lease saying hey you're required to have renter's insurance you can buy it through yeah. us if you want to and hey we exactly. offer this extra one that's not required Mm -hmm. but that would it depends. It is sometimes required and really? it's sometimes not required. Right. Okay. So that, that's one of the really interesting things when we look at the different segments, like when we look at multifamily as a, uh, when we look at multifamily as like a broad uh, asset class, uh, most multifamily renters are staying in there for two, three years are fairly stable. Like they're living in there, you know, particularly ones in class B, class C properties. It's not the biggest thing, but we're and in those properties. What we see is that this type of policy is an opt in or maybe an opt out uh, recommended product. Right. Exactly. Like you said, sold through like the point of uh, sold just like tenant insurance. 
where we find a really, really interesting use case is on student housing. We call it young professional housing uh, and some of the downtown infill properties where there is a lot more transients, where there is a lot more movement. And some of these properties, owners are taking a big risk, right? Like vacancy is not fun for anybody to take, particularly if it's for like a student housing rental that might sit vacant for eight months if a, if a student leaves early, right? So in that case, we're actually finding a lot of traction, uh, thousands and thousands of units now uh, where people are opting to mandate coverage across their buildings. Uh, based on the risk factors that they're seeing, based on the risk of releasing that they're experiencing, just to make that process, uh, just to protect themselves as well as protect renters from their own bad judgment. Okay, so, so work relocation, a spouse or partner work relocation, family reasons are all covered. What kind of things are not covered? Um, so we, we've deliberately left that a little bit open-ended on that side. Typically, the way that we look at it is if it is something that is really, really prone to, uh, uh, if, if, if it is quite prone to fraud or if it's quite prone to uh, us, uh, if it's impossible to validate, we can't really cover it. Right. Because ultimately, we want to prevent situations where people are just upping and leaving. There's a huge risk of adverse selection in there when people say, hey, I'm going to sign a 12 month lease because it's cheaper than signing a six month lease, but I'm going to leave in six months. And I know regardless. Right. That is something we just don't want. Ultimately, we de-risk that by requiring this across portfolios and getting a diverse enough risk pool. Um, but for us, we also want to limit it by focusing on perils that people really care about. And you think you name some of the big ones, work related relocations, even significant changes in work or significant changes in salary up or down will cover. But none of those things, all of those things are verifiable. All of those things are uh, rare enough occurrences and all those things. I think merit different levels of coverage, right? Versus it's very, very hard to coverage. Uh, it's very, very difficult to cover the feeling of needing to go, right? Mm, yeah. So, so okay. So, so basically, the things that 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 you can prove that are external, exactly, and and and, the, and that you can prove. Okay. Um, how do you underwrite this? Yeah, that is a great question. Underwriting this is a pain in the, it's a pain in the behind. It's uh, not the most fun thing in the world, but it does make for a very, very fun challenge for our team. Uh, so the way we look at this is we really break this down into the individual perils. When you look at, uh, when you look at kind of flexibility as a broad scale kind of risk with vacancy, it's really, really daunting to take a look at underwriting wise. But when you look at it in terms of a specific peril, now it's a lot simpler. Now we're looking at, hey, what's the chance of academic dismissal for a student at Baylor University? They just came up with that off the top of my head. But that is something that is very, very easy to predict, right? So we've built out essentially a number of underwriting patterns based on these specific perils. And we look at what perils a specific, a specific policyholder is actually is actually live is actually opening themselves up to and we underwrite based off of that we collect obviously a healthy amount of personal information although that is much much easier with the amount of software that we're able to leverage the great api level tools we're able to use to bring in verified information we're able to remove uh we're, we're able to 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 stay away from some of these long like never-ending forms we're able to stay away from uh like having to trust people's uh 
uh, like, like, you know, when like your auto insurer asks you like, how safe is your driving? You're always going to say safe, you know, like we try to avoid situations like that. We try to be as empirical as possible. And we bring in data sources from a variety of providers, both internally, both from our partners, as well as for broader third, uh, third party aggregate sources. We bring that all in, uh, we feed it into our underwriting algorithm and, and we're able to, to produce out kind of, uh, like a risk assessment in very, very fast time, fairly accurately. Well, did the, the data, so, so with students that, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly easy one to, to, to figure out. Yeah. But, but, uh, for young professionals, uh, so did the data exist? So the data, the data, the way I look at it is the data always exists. You might just, it just might not be feasible for you to get all the data. Right. Okay. So for us, we looked at it from a broad aggregate perspective first, right? Hey, how can we get a directional sense of how much risk we're taking? Well, like, you know, how often people are moving and you dive into the different, uh, the, the, the different groups who actually categorize that track, that data, uh, the U S census bureau does a fantastic job of providing broad scale information, even at the state level at the County level, a lot of interesting trend movers there. And one of the really interesting things that happen is if you track it by NAIC codes in terms of the different job titles people hold in terms of different seniority levels, um, you are able to track work movement very, very tightly. The other area where you're able to track this quite a bit is anybody that's registered for services like, um, like I just went through this process, so I do know, but if you're going through TSA pre-check, like they actually do a fairly rigid screening of like your, your, your past three years of moving history and your past three years of employment movement history. And you're able to cross-reference those things and see when people have been relocating for work. Right. So it's really looking at a variety of weird data sources that you wouldn't necessarily think about and really, really calling. Uh, we, we really rely on having like just an insanely creative and insanely great team in terms of figuring out these specific risk factors, understanding how to build out those algorithms and understanding how to predict risk in a statistically valid and relevant way. Okay. And, and uh, given that it's, it's a young company, I'm assuming for now it's an MGA. Yes. Uh, so we're operating as an MGA right now, although we are taking a strong look at, at the full stack path. I think it's something just, uh, I was actually in a conversation earlier, but uh, I think it's something that is increasingly uh, more relevant in today's like market conditions. Um, reinsurers have heard time and time again, um, like, and like this MGA has a great idea and this MGA has a great idea. Right. But where is the proof, right? Like how much premium can you actually write? Are you willing to take risk on your own balance sheet or on a captive balance sheet? Right. Like what are you willing to do in terms of like, what is your own confidence in it? So uh, one of the things we've been looking at as we continue to grow fairly rapidly and are able to secure more and more distribution is uh, into a self captive or a captive and really look at different ways of bringing this on board. Of course, um, I think the MG, the traditional MGA model is also fantastic. If you can find the right partners and if you can find the right opportunities, not just from a capacity standpoint, but also from a strategic perspective as well. What are, what are, what are the premiums like? So like the, the average renter's insurance is probably, you know, 15 to 25 bucks a month. What, what does it yeah. look like for, 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 the, for this coverage? Yeah, so we use we actually use that as a as a benchmark for us. We know that renters, uh, the vast majority of renters in, in multifamily properties across the U.S., uh, they they already have that frame of reference. They know that typically 
Um, uh, a renter's policy is going to cost them anywhere from 15 to 25 bucks and it'll cover some of their personal belongings, some liability. It's super useful if there's a fire or a flood, but like largely like that's a cost that like just disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know what utilities cost and they know that rent is growing up fairly fast, right? So what we know is we want to be in that vicinity. You don't want a product that costs 150 bucks a month. That is I think you're just going to get like abysmal conversion rates, right? At the same time, we know that people are willing to pay a premium for this. We've done the research on this. 60% of the tenants uh, that we talked to out of a, out of a significant sample size, um, 60% of them were willing to pay at least $100 a month for a policy like this. And we know that there is some pricing flexibility. Uh, we ultimately decided to, to base it on a percentage of rent. Um, up to a up to a point with minimums and maximums. Uh, typical premiums are between three to five percent, and we offer significant discounts if um, if a policy is mandated or, or around a, or around a property where we're looking at about half of that. Okay. What what's the, what's the what's the the TAM? What's what's the total bar? Like, because I, I remember the TAM is both the TAM is both tiny and it is humongous. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, like yeah, there's a lot of apartments. Uh, yes, but, but compared to other lines of insurance, it's 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 a small line. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I think that is what really really excites us. For us, there, there's there's some really exciting future paths and future applications for this new category. Uh, of underwriting and uh, of uh, uh, of risk transfer that I think are going to be extremely relevant in the upcoming decade, uh, but we don't really have anything fleshed out there, and we're we're still very early in ideation phase for those future developments. So I won't get into it too too much. But just off of this core residential market, the way we look at it is as as very early movers and as true category creators, we we essentially have the ability to set what this market is right. If the demand is there, like we anticipate it will be there, if we're fulfilling a need that has not been met, I think there's there's ten there's do, there's tens of billions of dollars a year worth of worth of premium to be to be written. And I think from a realistic perspective, you're looking at like maybe ten percent of that, right? I, I think as a realistic target to be going at. And I think at a pessimistic level, I think you're looking at a fairly small market, fairly restrained, maybe in the hundreds of millions to low billions in terms of, in terms of annual gross run premium. Um, it, it all depends on how we're able to do in terms of bringing this to market. If we're right about some of the core assumptions that we've made as a startup, uh, if this is, if the lifestyle changes that we've seen happen over the next 10 years will continue to develop, which I certainly think they will just us having this call. I, th- I think it makes me more confident that things like this will happen hearing that, Folks like you have went through the exact same things from a moving perspective gives me confidence that this is something that is happening, right? Talking to students, talking to 25, 26 year olds today, that gives me confidence that, hey, there is really a sea change that is different from the way people acted 30 years ago. And the industries of tomorrow will be fundamentally different from the industries of today, right? So we're very, very bullish on this. Although I will say like, it is, it is not like we're, we're not talking about like the biggest TAM in the world when it comes to uh, when it comes to insurance markets, but it is definitely not uh, no small fish. Okay, so according to LinkedIn, it's it's been about a year and a half, almost two years yes. since, since you were in the company. Where in the process are you? How many apartment complexes are you deployed with? Kind of what's the reality today? 
hundred percent. So uh, we've got 9,100 apart, uh, apartment units uh, enrolled okay. at this point. And the biggest challenge for us is how do we make sure we have the ability and the capacity and the resources to support everyone, right? So from our perspective, whether it is fundraising and whether it is making sure we have the best possible operational team available, whether it's shoring up our capital reserves and making sure we have the, capacity, the internal capacity to deliver, partnering with great carriers and reinsurers to be able to deliver, deliver this product out to a broader market. Um, I think there's, there's so much growth coming in the next two, three years. We just want to make sure that we're we're diversifying our risk pools. We're building a fundamentally profitable product, and we are making sure that we are we're, we're continually shooting for excellence there. Okay, so so at this point, you've got maybe one year worth of uh, of loss ratio uh, development. No, not not even one not year even... in. So we are yeah. So we are very very early in terms of looking at loss ratios. So I won't comment too too much. Uh, knock on wood on everything I say on that side, but. Uh, please do reach out if, if it's something that is interesting. Like, I'd love to chat more about that. Uh, it's just that the numbers there are so early that I think there's a, we're, we're talking fairly speculative. Okay, so, so at this point, you're looking for uh, VCs, you're, you're, you're looking for, for angels that, that do a lot of insurance, you're looking for, for carrier internal uh, VC teams. What kind of investors are you looking for? Yeah, so that's a great question. So from an investor standpoint, we we're really lucky to be playing in the middle of two ginormous, two two very very capital heavy industries, right? We know how much money insurance companies have, like it's it's no secret. And the same is true on the other side of uh, of a lot of these real estate firms. In fact, there's actually a lot of uh, there's there's actually a lot of overlap between the two. There's a lot of reinsurers with very very significant real estate exposure, and likewise, there's real estate companies whose single biggest line item outside of their mortgages uh, is insurance. Right. So there's a there's a lot of understanding on both sides there. There's a lot of interest on both. We're essentially looking for really strategic uh, strategic investors who can bring a ton of value, uh, uh, either from the insure tech perspective or the prop tech perspective. And I think they're actually much more similar than people give them credit for. Right. We've had some fantastic conversations already with folks on the carrier side, as well as folks who, uh, who are more traditional VCs, but who have a lot of exposure to, uh, into insure tech. And we're really excited to continue building these partnerships as we as we scale this up. OK, very, very interesting stuff. It's, it's awesome to hear of a brand new product and especially uh, sometimes. Uh, we, we have guests talking about a brand new product and, and I'm like, is there really a need for this? Uh, this mm -hmm. particular one is is one where I can see the need. It's it's more about how do we package this into an actually exactly uh, profitable insurance product, and that's the secret sauce, right? I think ultimately where we want to be is, hey, this is a need that I think we can start to see. We're we're definitely early on this, right? We we talked to some older folks, some more conservative folks in the industry, and they definitely don't see it, right? Which really excites me because if everybody sees the need and the product doesn't exist you're probably dead in the water already. But if you're early, if that opportunity is actually there and you're, you're riding that wave of change, um, then you just need to make sure you can execute, right? And that's where you, you really rely on having great talent. That's where you really rely on having great partners. That's where you really rely on having really, really good feedback from your partners and your customers, right? And for us, it's really balancing those things together. Uh, and and that, that's how we want to lead the company. Excellent. Great chatting with you today. Thank, thank you for your time. Uh, when this goes live, I will tag you on, on, on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm assuming that's the best way to, to connect with you for, for, for anybody who's interested. 
Yeah, LinkedIn is a fantastic way of getting in touch with me. Happy to chat with you there. Um, if you want to go to our website, you'll have to learn how to spell the name of the company, which we can get into a whole nother conversation about why we decided. Yes, that I, 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 am, I am very curious. What, why spell it C-I-O-S? Okay. So uh, we, we originally were going to name the company something else. Uh, we had jumped over a bunch of different names. Uh, all of them felt cliche. Right. Like, you know, like uh, you take two nouns, you put them together and that's a company name or you take one noun and you and, and you trademark it somehow and you make that a name. We've, we we looked at a bunch of those things, uh, but we weren't really happy with them. Um, one of my co-founders, they, they travel quite a bit. Um, so we're like, hey, why not? Why not pick a foreign word? Why not pick a foreign word? And we're like, hey, like you had just done like a layover in Dublin before. What if we used Irish? I've never heard of a company using Irish before. So we jumped in. We're like, what is an Irish word that means to rent or to, and we're like, oh, keys. Oh, that's great. Like you got the, you got the meaning there. It means to rent. You've got like the symbolism of it being like a key, like a, like a physical little key, the way it's pronounced. And we're like, Hey, this is genius. We're the greatest, like we're great entrepreneurs. We're great founders. We know exactly what we're doing. We went, trademarked the name, got it incorporated. And then the morning afterwards, we wake up and we're like, oh, shoot, um, this name was non-phonetic. Uh, nobody's going to know how to pronounce this. We're like, darn, we have quite the education task in front of us. But in either case, uh, we are very, very excited. Uh, we're very, very excited in, despite our name. Uh, we think this is going to be a great product. If you want to reach out to me, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or you can go to our site at www.get, that's G-E-T-C-I-O-S.com. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tony.